clip. That's what. What's the idea? What's the big idea? What's the big idea? What's the big idea, Egghead? What's the big idea? Welcome back to What's the Big Idea. Today in the show, we have Aaron Rose. And before I tell you more about Aaron, I wanted to ask a quick favor. So if you have been enjoying What's the Big Idea, could you visit our page, whether you're listening on Spotify or iTunes, and just take 15 seconds to drop us a review. So we love putting the show into the world and we'd love to hear from you. So anytime you can take to uh, just drop us a review would be greatly appreciated. So now let's get to it. So today in the show, we have Aaron Rose. And Aaron is a transformational coach and culture consultant who has worked with uh, much of the Fortune 500, Columbia University, McKinsey and Company, T-Mobile, you name it. And what he focuses on today is his real belief that to create external results, we need to focus on our internal identities and perspectives, who we think we are, how we think that the world works. And what he really talks about is that the new model of change is about understanding that how we change the world is what changes the world, not just focusing on the results that we desire. And so he really talks about how our means are our ends, that anything outside of us is a reflection of what's inside of us and even big institutional patterns like environmental destruction and discrimination in the workplace are oftentimes just expressions of what we are feeling internally. And he is masterful at creating tools and practical techniques that we can use to mine our own experience, create systems that liberate people, make them feel safer at work. Uh, so I really enjoyed this chat. He's an incredible person who you know, has a, an amazing story of transformation just facing uh, really deep, uh, dark discrimination coming out as a trans man growing up and then, uh, discovering unfounded privilege as a white man and, and grappling with that and integrating that and understanding and mining his own story and how he's been able to leverage, uh, that really unique story to empower and help others. So I know you're going to enjoy it without further ado. Here is Aaron Rose. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to What's the Big Idea? Uh, very excited to have Aaron Rose sitting across from me today, uh, a very highly regarded recommendation by our mutual friend, Jesse Israel. Welcome to the show, Aaron. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation. Yeah, likewise. We were just jamming for probably about 20 minutes, and then I was like, we should probably just hit record and, and actually start this thing now. So, uh, so Aaron, I, I always love kind of starting with the question, how do you answer the inquiry, what do you do? Because when I go to your website, you talk so eloquently about so many different things that you're working on for companies like McKinsey that you're speaking out around the world, a book that's coming out in 2021. So when you answer that question, how do you approach it? It's always an evolution. And I think that the way I answer it now is that I've I, as I'd say I'm probably 95% released around whatever the marketing advice is about having a succinct elevator pitch. Um, and I really trust my, that my vibration precedes me and that I don't have to fully sum myself up in an instant. And that if someone is so quick to immediately check out, um, especially for just sort of meeting in a, in a social, social interaction, then cool. We weren't supposed to have a, a deeper conversation. Um, uh, because obviously what I do is as, 
I, you know, sometimes I just say, you know, I'm here, I'm here to make sure that, that we achieve world peace within our lifetimes. And sometimes it's specific, like I'm a transformational coach and I work with people around healing our patterns of separation and division and really reclaiming this balance between authenticity and belonging where everybody gets to fully show up as themselves and also feel like they belong in community. And I do that through coaching leaders. I do that through speaking, through writing, through Instagram stories, um, and many other things. And one of the things that I'm so excited about having Aaron on the show today is that because he does this so actively as a coach, as a organizational development specialist, is that he's so jam-packed with practical tools of like actual constructs that we can use to resolve conflict, that we can use to facilitate our own personal development, understanding of connection and purpose. And so um, there's a lot of really good stuff that is going to come out of this today. And, uh, you know, before we even go a little bit deeper, when you talk about this call towards world peace, where does uh, a goal, where does a sense of purpose like that come from? What instilled you uh, with this, with this call? In some ways, I think it came hardwired and and it's something I think we're all in some ways in this process of reclaiming the stuff that made us excited as kids. And for me, it was things like Harry Potter and running around barefoot in nature and also being obsessed with people like Nelson Mandela, like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, like Gandhi, like Bayard Rustin, all of these leaders that I that I saw sort of in the generation or two before me um, who had taken a big stand and coming into the world, being in very conservative Catholic context, um, being in to zoom it out, even just in a family that had unresolved extensive trauma, which many of our families, most of our families do, um, I came in and just felt off. I remember even being three or four years old in church, um, a very conservative environment and everybody singing. And I was singing my own song. I was singing hmm. like I can picture myself sitting under the pew singing Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star because and it felt like I need to create my own vibration in mm. this space right now. Um, and and so it was it's sort of paradoxical that I was driven both by an acute awareness of how wrong so much was with the world as well as just a love of the world. I'm looking out the window right now and seeing the trees that are holding down the nature frequency on this Brooklyn block and something as simple as like a tree branch grazing my arm as I'm walking down the street just makes me feel like, oh, life. Right. And so there's sort of this passion for life, I think, that that has driven me and somehow a relentless belief that, I mean, that it's almost this commitment to my own happiness and to everybody else's happiness that I'm also not willing to live a whole life on earth telling a story that it's not possible to experience what we all desire. And what do we all desire? Connection, joy, ease. And I think that, you know, world peace is sort of this touchy, touchy word. And I've just sort of started to reuse it again. And it brings, it brings to mind, you know, scenes from miscongeniality and, and these ways that we've sort of, um, had it downgraded and made to seem kind of silly or naive. Um, and so it's peace, but it's also expansion. It's exploration. It's humanity's desire for um, living living a fulfilling life and not feeling perpetually constrained by external circumstances, by other people's behavior, and not feeling like you are in a constant state of conflict within yourself or with the world. And so when you talk about being able to actually move humanity towards, you know, a grand goal like that. If you go back to a moment in your early life where you felt yourself actually being able to 
move towards this or to help others to move towards this? What was a moment that was really transformational in terms of your belief that you could actually do this, that you could have this impact on other people and on the planet where you really stepped onto the path for one of the first times? The thing that first came to mind was in high school, I and a couple of my friends started this group called Think Globally, Act Locally. And at that point, it was 14, 15 years old, and I was already deeply, like almost pathologically enraged by what I was seeing happening in the world disease, genocide. That was, it was at the time when, um, the, the genocide was happening very, very full on, um, in Sudan. And, um, there were, and I was, there was the, the rising awareness of climate change, you know, Al Gore's documentary had come out and there was this sense of like, the world is not okay. And so in certain situations, like perhaps around my dining room table with my parents, I would take the slightly more like, you need to, you need to understand this. Like we need to, you know, why are you, using that plastic fork or why are you, um, you know, spending your time on this and not that there was this sort of in this, this rage that came out. But even at that time, I was able to access the frequency of how do I actually get people to care? How do I respect them enough also to let them make their own choices? And so with this group, I would go in and I, this was, you know, I would skip lunch. I would use my study hall period. And I, we convinced all of these teachers around this massive public high school with like over 2000 kids um, to let us come into their classes and give presentations about what was going on in the world. And so I would come in and say, okay, you know, there's this thing called malaria and it's impacting all of these millions of people. But here's what you can specifically do. One action. Right. So there would always be a really clear call to action. We're going to raise money for this thing or we're going to go. You know, there's this. A lot of people are struggling with HIV AIDS all around the world, but we're going to go work with folks who are experiencing that in our hometown mm. um, and always sort of bringing it down to, OK, I might sort of bring a little bit of the shock and awe about do you know what's happening in the world, but always bringing it down. And, and I just saw I saw people get really emotional. I, it was, you know, it was my peers, 16, 17, 18 year old kids coming in, um, watching, watching these presentations and and being a little bit reserved initially, but then having that moment of, I know this feels hard, but like, just walk this next step with me, this Mm. single next step. um, And trusting even in that moment that that was what needed to happen, that I didn't need to get every single person in my high school to march on Washington for something that I just needed to help them take their empathy and, and just get in the practice of acting upon it. That I think was that that feeling of respecting the people I was seeking to support and create change with and seeing them be willing to take that single step forward with me was that was absolutely a big turning point. It feels like a, a beautiful way to introduce Aaron's big idea. So as you know, Aaron, on the show, what we love to do is to bring on some of the smartest, most creative people on the planet to really distill a singular idea. And you really kind of leverage so many different modalities in your work, which I love. And I hope we get into many of them. But if you were to synthesize the single idea that you wish more people could integrate into their lives, into their companies, into their impact work, what would that idea be? The idea would be that I think big picture, the collective healing is possible and it is happening and the tools that we need to make it happen 
really call upon us to blend our understanding of social justice and personal development. I think we have so many, so many people who are deep in the personal development journey, healing themselves from trauma, stepping into their most authentic selves. As much as those phrases are overused, we're doing it. And the people who are walking that path know that feeling of, of stepping into um, greater self-expression, greater service to the world. Um, and, and we have these perspectives around manifesting your dream life and having the vision board and creating the life of your dreams. And we do deserve that. But at a certain point, all of that sort of taps out if you haven't been attending to your position as a human being in the collective. If your vision board has only ever had things that you want in your life on it and not a grander vision for the kind of world that you want to live in and the impact that you want your life to have on the world. And then on the other side of that, from, from a social justice perspective, as someone who came out of sort of more traditional activism, there is a real call to integrate these personal development tools, these metaphysical understandings to say the way that we've been doing activism requires an understanding of the metaphysical laws of the universe requires an understanding of things like the law of attraction um, and and requires all of us to have as a part of our theory of change the understanding that what's happening inside of us is what's happening outside of us. And so it's this sort of I see this infinity sign, this sort of balance between the two where we our personal development needs to account for how our relationship to the collective impacts our daily lives and our collective social change work needs to take more seriously what's happening inside each and every person rather than simply focusing on on the external. Yeah, one of the things that I love that I've seen you write is that it's again, it's like the means are the end, right? It's how we are impacting change is in essence kind of like what the change will ultimately be. And one of the things that I'd love to get more clarity on is oftentimes one of the things I love to invite guests to do is to kind of extrapolate on some of these words that we use. And we might know at a surface level, but when you talk about some of these metaphysical laws of the universe and why that's kind of important for, you know, global peace and, and development, can you just help us understand as you understand it and as you kind of integrate it into your work, what do you mean by that? What do you want people to know about kind of some of these metaphysical truths about humanity and the way the world works? Absolutely. And I'll be the first person to say that if there's anyone who's listening and feeling already a little bit skeptical and like this is this is all of this feels very lofty. Um, I'll say that what brought me to this work was my own life feeling like it was just nonstop suffering. Right. Mm -hmm. Was trying many different things and then finally landing in a more, in some ways, a more faith-based approach to life, but also really opening myself up to understand, to understand the inner workings of the universe. And so when I say that, um, I'm speaking about what every major spiritual tradition speaks about, as well as quantum physics, that everything that's happening outside of us is a projection of from, from our consciousness, that the external world, we all live in a slightly different world that is the reflection of what's happening internally within us as within, so without, as above, so below, mm. um, that we live in a vibrational universe, that everything that we see as solid matter and the space between it is vibrating 
they're actually, when you look at the particles from a quantum physics perspective, and this is where I get so nerdy and I love it, particles, everything, I'm looking at my hands, I'm looking at the room we're in, every single one of these particles, actually, if you zoom fully in, it's flickering in and out of existence. And what the most advanced researchers have found, people like Nassim Harame, is that actually what's happening is those particles are going back and forth to source, to the void, to some people would call it God, but to to the space where everything comes from. Um, and so every single moment is like this little vibrational check-in where the frequency that we hold within us is determining the results around us, even this conversation. We probably couldn't have had this conversation a year ago because our vibrations, you were in a slightly different place in your career, I was in a slightly different place in mine, and now we've synced up, right? So understanding that we do, we live in a world that's actually far more predictable than we've been led to believe that it is, that everything really is a vibrational cause and effect. And as someone who was deep in a victim story, deep in a story of the world is out to get me, this does not make sense. Everywhere I go, people attack me. That was really my story for a long time. Um, it took it took a lot of suffering for me to get to the point where I was able to start to take that 100% responsibility for my experience and say, wait a minute, what if I actually can control everything I experience through my perception? Um, and, and that ultimately was, that was, that was the thing that unlocked all the joy, all the feeling of liberation in my life. So you talk about your own journey there, and I'd love to provide a little more context yeah. because I think that that shift from one of victim to ownership and you talk about that control and control over kind of how you are existing in your environment in the world can you just paint a little more color of what that story was and how that shift was facilitated in you absolutely so my story was growing up in new york city in a one one bedroom apartment with three siblings and two parents um, and grew up in a very conservative Catholic context where there was a lot of a lot of unexplored emotion, a lot of repressed trauma that was just recycled um, through through the generations onto me. And, you know, I could be in a story and I could tell a story right now. If they did all these things to me. We could put words like abuse and neglect on it. But what's more important to me is to simply say that I had an experience of feeling like I didn't belong, of feeling like I wasn't taken care of, of feeling like I wasn't loved, mm -hmm. and like my world was unpredictable and there was no way to get it right. That I was bidding for connection, for for acceptance, for recognition, and it didn't happen, right? And there was a lot of pain involved in that. Um, and that was from a very early age. And then the more sort of, I'd say, tangible tangible moments um, that, that I point to in my story were having the experience of being gay and transgender, being kind of working my way through every single letter of the LGBTQ acronym in this <laughs> lifetime, like seriously. Um, yeah, checking check in all the boxes. My soul definitely chose the like deluxe, like double black diamond <laughs> lifestyle, like maximum darkness, every possible human identity that you can fit into one body. Let's just understand it all. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that being after after other experiences of of separation and violence with my family being sort of the straw that broke the camel's back in terms of um in terms of being being rejected feeling very rejected and then going out into the world and experiencing so much discrimination experiencing harassment violence on the job getting beat up on the streets of new york city for people that uh, by people who were 
shouting homophobic things at me and just and you know not even to mention what was happening online in terms of you know negative comments on facebook from people who knew me in high school and things like that and just it was an experience of feeling like just i just saw an image of like a soldier with like a lot of bayonets around them you know like you can't move an inch yeah. without getting poked mm. um and and feeling like i was in a war zone um until ultimately it got so bad that I opened up to another perspective. I think many of us have those moments where, where the thing that we've been doing to keep ourselves safe that we've said is the only way, just we oh, there are little, of course, in miracles talks about just even the tiniest sliver of of openness to change. And that, and that came in for me. I started to say, wait a minute, <laughs> yelling at people on the internet and, def and defending myself isn't working. And that started to allow the teaching, the support to come in. And I already was a very spiritual person with a meditation practice and things like that. But I started to just receive in off the breeze the way it does when you're when you're ready. Um, things like A Course in Miracles, things like an understanding of quantum physics that started to help me understand, OK, if I want to change my experience, I can. And I was tired of hating people. Mm. I was tired of feeling like my life was determined by other people's actions and I was determined to transcend it whether it meant cutting all of them out of my life and going to like live on my own and just you know off in the mountains and and have my and have my peace um or or actually coming down off the mountain and learning how to connect with people so it was ultimately ultimately just that that little sliver of willingness to have a different experience and to and to and that human survival instinct that keeps people going when they're you know stuck on the side of i guess we're using a lot of mountain metaphors stuck on the side of a mountain without a survival without many survival mechanisms about some, someone coming um how how they are able to take that next step there was something in me that was just like this isn't the end you're not going to die at 25 just having felt like the world was out to get you this whole time. Like this is not going to be how it ends. So what was the new perspective that you became open to in that moment? The new perspective was that everything I was experiencing was a product of what was happening within me internally. Mm. And that I on a soul level had perhaps chosen that, but on another human level, a lot of that programming had been placed within me by my circumstances when I was in that theta state as a young kid, just subconsciously picking up these can stories. You, can you describe theta state for people? Yeah, yeah. So there's just different brainwave states. And when you're um, when you're generally they say between ages zero to seven, but sometimes even a little bit beyond that, um, it's when you're you're in a much more susceptible, impressionable state um, where you're you're sort of drifting between the realms a little bit more and your subconscious is um, is is very impressionable where um and from a from a that's sort of a little bit more of the the quantum physics realm but even when we look at sort of neuroscience specifically we see that the the human psyche is basically programmed to take in all the information about what's going to keep us safe in this in this life um and then to set those as the settings so that we stay safe forever. We get all the information about our environment and then that's just what we create. So all of my settings were things like when I express myself, I get hurt. Hmm. When I get my needs met, I have to do something bad to get my needs met. Um, love and self-expression are incompatible. I deserve to be punished. People around me don't like me. The world is unsafe. Hmm. 
my identities somehow justify, there's something about my identities that makes people hate me. Mm. There's something about me that creates ire from the world around me. And so I was living that. And when I started to understand that, I was like one of those, you know, beautiful mind moment when all of the writing on the or goodwill hunting where it's like all of the I just see this massive chalkboard and I've been up all night, like piecing together the, the, the pieces and saying, wait a minute, all that didn't happen because the world is terrible. <laughs> all of that happened because I was in an environment that taught me that that's how the world is. Um, and there's another opening. There's a way for me to reprogram my stories and have a new experience. And so that's what I started to do. It's powerful, man. And so I want to give you an opportunity to now bridge this into, cause right now it feels like we're stepping into the realm of shift on a very personal level. And something that you talked about with your big idea is again, is the inherent link of personal development and kind of collective development, right? And so can you tell me a little more about how your mindset kind of shifted to accommodate both of those and how your personal development was ultimately accelerated or or enhanced through that grander awareness of your place in the world and humanity in community? Absolutely. And so it happened very parallel. It was sort of as I was rock bottoming in my own life. um, I and it's sort of rock bottom is also a, a loose term because when I think about the first two decades of my life, it was just a perpetual feeling of rock bottom of just like is today the day that everything falls apart forever. Um, that level of sort of desperation and survival. But as I was reaching that breaking point, that shift where I started to take that responsibility for my experience, it was happening at the same time in my career. Um, I was looking at all the work I had been doing in diversity and inclusion and social justice, where I was bringing people together and helping them understand our history of oppression so that we could take a different approach. And I started to realize, wait a minute, no matter how many people who look like me and who do what I do tell me how great I am, I don't know if I'm actually making that big of a difference. I think I'm being praised for a certain analysis of the world. Mm. And I think people are gaining some more quote unquote awareness about the world, but I don't actually feel the alchemy, the connection Mm. that I know is possible. And there's all this research now coming out of the diversity and inclusion space and all of this sort of social justice education space that shows that the typical best practices that just educate people on oppression and give people best practices lists of here's all the things to say and not say that those actually often create adverse outcomes in workplaces because they almost they bring a magnifying glass to the level of division and they create differentiated roles for people without actually giving them a lived experience of connection in the training in the in the gathering in that experience and i was seeing that firsthand and i was starting to understand okay i've always been inspired by what gone by what gandhi and many other people said which is that our means are our ends how we do the work is the work it's what led me to start leading self-care workshops as an 18 year old community organizer because i was like i think we're a little bit too stressed out to get to utopia like this Mm. i think we need to take better care of ourselves and so the same thing began to happen i started to understand wait a minute if i can radically transform my relationships if i can go from having toxic relationships with partners with friends where there's a high level of conflict where i'm always sort of half being abandoned in the same and then pulled back and then abandoned again which is the same pattern with my family if i can change that and begin to have trust and deep connection i can reprogram that story in my personal life 
Why can't we do that for racism? Why can't we do that for homophobia? And wait a minute, actually all of this has a root in the same kind of trauma in the same kind of programming that says, this is how the world is. People of different races don't get along. You're better than those people. You need to take these actions mm. to validate that or we're gonna abandon you mm. or you're worse than these people and they're not safe to be around. And I started to, again, it was like just seeing the code of the matrix, wait a minute we can actually use these same reprogramming tools. We can go into our subconscious and understand that, yes, we've got big institutions and we can point to the structures we've created based on these ideas, but it starts within each and every one of our consciousnesses. And I, and I began to implement it and the change was absolutely amazing. And I'd love to actually hear because yeah. I think this is so powerful. And I think so many people are familiar with some of these best practice, diversity and inclusion techniques that you just talked about. And I'm so curious to hear more about how you provide people with that lived experience of real connection, like real inclusion. So how do you approach that in a workplace? And like, how would you speak to people who a lot of entrepreneurs who listen to the show what are some of the practical techniques or exercises that you work people through to facilitate that type of conversation and experience? So the metaphor that came to mind was, I think we all have this understanding now of the way our beliefs impact our results in our individual life. And so you, if you have this goal, you want it, let's just say you want a six pack and you have, you create your regime and you're like, okay, I'm going to work out in this way. I've got this trainer. This is, I'm going to eat in this way. You might achieve the six pack, but you're going to go right back to what your body looked like until you change your internal self-concept, until you mm. create a story that you have a healthy relationship with your body, until you get clear also even on why you want the six pack. Um, but you but you shift your internal self-concept and you remove any stories like even a story like every diet that I've been on has never worked. Um, and this is not to promote diets on this podcast, but <laughs> we're just using this as an example. Please. Even a story like. I, I succeed and then my, and then my results disappear. Um, and we see that even, you know, with people in their careers. And so when we speak about diversity and inclusion, it is about looking at, looking at those core stories. Like I can have you say, okay, I know how to ask what your pronouns are and how to not use this microaggression word based on the difference in our race. But if you're still carrying subconscious programming within you that says that your well-being is mutually exclusive with someone who's different than you that still creates a fear response within your body, you're just going to be reading lines off of a script and still feeling like you want to run away from that person. And they're going to be feeling the same thing as well. And which so, I, which I feel like you use, we, we were talking about the term like walking on eggshells, yep. right? It's like when there is this external expression, a thing that you know you have to do, which is just at conflict with some sort of internal understanding or feeling, right? Which then just makes is so uncomfortable to actually bridge the gap and be with people when there is that disconnect, that, that dissonance. So continue. But. Totally. Yeah. And it, and it, I have so much compassion for all of us because what's at stake as well is our sense of us being a good person. I see people all the time, not even want to have a conversation or, or just run away from the conversation because they have a story that they're a good person. They have a good relationship with their mailman, with their kid's teacher, like, and they don't feel like there's a predictable way to have the connection go well. They don't necessarily trust that they're not going to hurt someone. Mm -hmm. Right. So people also pull away really out of this and someone might look at them and say, they don't care, you know, they're privileged. But part of them is also just, they don't want to hurt someone. 
yeah. they don't know how to not hurt someone. And so a specific example I'll give, and we can dive into the organizational piece as well if you want, is the example that's coming to mind is a client that came to me who was looking to diversify her contributor con- contributors on her site, on her social media platform. And the story was, for some reason, people of color just aren't in my community. They just aren't coming to me. She was a white woman. And what we did was we spent a little bit of time going over the facts about the history of, of race in America. Um, and what the average diversity inclusion person would have done was to say, these are the best practices. You need to make sure that you're not saying these words um, and things like that. But what I did was put her in a hypnotic state, take her into a guided meditation and say, what within you is still afraid of being close to people of color. Mm. What within you still feels like community does not include these people. And the answers came up right away and I get emotional even talking about it. We started to see, okay, there's this story in my family. People who weren't white were looked down upon, right? So actually subconsciously, I feel like if I have non-white friends, my parents are gonna hate me. Hmm. AKA I'm not going to survive because of the human brain on that childhood level proximity to parents is survival. And so there's that, that deep fear. Then we went even into the generational stuff of what has been the legacy of your family's, your ancestors relationship to the people of color that you're seeking to bring into your community. Okay. Well, there's a lot of pain there. There's a lot of dehumanization. There's a lot of violence and we actually have to go into that and feel those emotions to grieve for it, as well as to take responsibility for it. Um, And another tool that we used in that session was a simple loving kindness practice where we talked about the energetic. Energetically, she was doing that football strong, strong arm thing and just holding people at a distance saying, I don't know why they're not here, but she was creating the space because of the fear of the proximity, um, the fear of doing it wrong, all of these different pieces that we uncovered. And so we just sat there and we imagined the people that that were sort of in her field who um, who could be in her, her energetic field, not her professional field, who could be, who were waiting to be part of her community. And we just sent them love, right? We, we saw that light going from her heart to them, dissolving the tension in the same way that you would dig into a muscle knot, just breathing into it feeling into it, crying, letting, letting that pain pass through. And within the next 24 hours, I got an email from her saying, it's so crazy. <laughs> all of a sudden, all these people emailed me asking to contribute to my site mm-hmm. and they're all women of color. Wow. And of course we back it up with the best practices. We back it up with the understanding um, of what to say, what not to say, how to be a conscious steward of the relationship and fully reset the pattern in this situation between what typically would happen between a white woman and a black woman and um, the future that we're staking our claim to. We talk about things like reparations. We talk about things like ongoing amends making and ongoing filtering of your consciousness and upgrading your patterns. But even in that moment, simply dropping in, feeling the emotions and looking at what internally was happening for her is what changed the dynamic. And that's mm-hmm. what I do with organizational leaders as well. We yeah. we have to look at what's going on internally that's impacting the external result. You know, one of the things that I love that you're touching on this is, so I've heard what you're talking about as the identity model of change of like, and oftentimes in, I know you do kind of masculinity men's work as well, yeah. but is this idea that again, if we are, kind of aware of the outcomes or desired change in ourselves or in the world. And then we oftentimes think of it as like a two-part equation 
uh, there are basically our behaviors and then results. But that first part that you talk about, the self-reference or what was the term that you used? The, just the self-identity, the identity piece, right? Yeah. Of like who you know yourself to be. And so oftentimes we do this with men. It's like we, we use the kind of the, the dichotomy of man, woman, masculine, feminine. And we do this exercise of basically kind of what traits or behaviors do you associate with the masculine? What do you associate with the feminine? And a lot of times, like what comes up for guys in just this subconscious articulation without really thinking about it, not writing what their higher self knows these things to be, is there's like a lot of misogyny that's present in their understanding of men and women. And it's the idea that, again, if we don't grapple with this subconscious self, like even if we have done the best practices and we have an understanding of the way that we would like the world to be, that we're just going to project that subconscious, maybe bias self into the world. And so, you know, I think that again, like what you're talking about right here of starting on this individual level and opening yourself up for this type of much deeper inquiry is just powerful to understand where you're at. And before we move on to the organizational, and I know yeah. this is something you work on as well, but I think that one of the reasons that people don't broach this work is because to acknowledge you know, these kinds of biases, these kinds of racism, which are inherent in so many of us is the fear that we see so many people who are taken down for saying the wrong thing, one town or for having one transgression. And so it's the idea that if we acknowledge one of these things, that it will encompass our being, it will be like what we are known for to like talk about something that might be there. If I grew up with a father who has some racist tendencies, you know what I mean? Or who has, who has acted that way in his past life. And then that's a reflection of who I am now and that I'll be classified by that forever. You know, and so it's how do we how do we grapple with this kind of honesty of having a conversation where people can talk about these things where it feels like there's such an over rotation on this kind of like takedown culture and defining people by, you know, these hidden aspects of, of ourselves. It's a beautiful question because I think it's what's in a lot of people's mind is that fear of being taken down in the court of public opinion. Uh, and that's where a lot of people come to me these days is post something like that happening to them and saying, someone told me to call you <laughs> yeah. because something in my, you know, the way I would think of it is something in my vibrational field is making me a point of attraction for this. I still have unresolved stuff um, related to the identities involved or even just related to being seen in public and not, not, not taken down. And so what I would drive into first here is this core programmed belief that many of us carry that we will be punished if we talk about this mm -hmm. right that is the way that these systems have been set up it's like you can't talk about race you're going to get excommunicated from the family you can't talk about your gay uncle that's not here anymore because we don't talk about that and all of the ways that perhaps that was reinforced via violence generations back and now it's a little bit more of the shadow of that violence that still lives within us. And, and we know that generational trauma is encoded physically in our bodies, in our DNA, up to 14 generations back and probably even more beyond that. So we have that fear response encoded within us. And so it's like the work even starts with telling a new story about the fact that you can do the work, being brave enough to sort of step through it um, and to understand as well that... This is what we're all called to in this moment, um, that this is we are cleaning up something that is in us 
but not of us. Hmm. That we all carry our ancestors' fear within us. I carry that racism within me as a white person. I carry, even as an LGBTQ person, I carry certain certain fear-based responses based on gender nonconformity, based on the roles that men and women are supposed to play in society. And so it is in the same way that some of us are detoxing heavy metals from our body right now after living in an urban environment for a long time or being raised in generations that have been around certain contaminants. We're doing the same thing with our consciousness related to our identities. And so if we can get also into that high self-worth place, it's like that fear of being called out. We can have compassion for why it's there because it's the product of generations of extreme violence mm. to keep us in this system of separation. And we can also say, okay, if I were to step up and to be my highest self and to really see myself as a leader, as someone who is a conscious creator of my reality, there's a mess in my house. Am I going to clean it up? Right? Am I going to seize this opportunity? And I think anyone who does personal development work also knows that the hardest thing is starting. Is just beginning to embrace it and embracing that a part of the activism or a part of sort of the the changing of the tides that you might be navigating is also having some people not understand what you're doing and to still have a need to express their also very suppressed over many generations anger in your general direction. Um, but for you to know that the work that you're doing is carrying everybody to the other side and mm-hmm. having compassion for why the anger exists because that's also not been allowed to be expressed until very, very recently. Yeah. And, and one more thing on there in terms of like the practicality of this, of if we are doing this work that it doesn't necessarily need to start in the workplace, but even in like our personal relationships and social circles, one of the things that I've seen that's been so helpful for facilitating these conversations is the idea of this is kind of a gestalt principle, but the idea of coming out of problem solving and the idea that when you sit down with that client, it's like, you're, you're really just taking into a hypnotic state to explore what's there. Right. It's not with the idea of like necessarily we're going to solve this problem right now, but it's like, let's just get real to what's there. And so for having these conversations of just like, what is your experience of understanding? And so often when we facilitate these kind of like masculinity town halls, it's with that, it's like, look, let's be clear that we are here to explore a diverse set of experiences and ideas and opinions and that none of these are divine or, you know, universal truths. But what we're going to do is detach from the need, which is also like a very masculine trait to like solve a perceived problem and just say like, let's just chill out for 90 minutes and experience some other ideas. And then what we'll do is that we'll go back from this 90 minute period and we'll probably go back into problem solving mode because it's the way that we're conditioned to interact with the world, but we'll be more informed with our own reality and the reality of others. And that if we can detach from problem solving and just like provide that container that I think it can liberate some very honest, transparent conversations, which can then inform, you know, the, the more lived experience of just like connection and moving towards that. Totally. And, and for me, it really is about creating the space for what's true to come up so that we can consciously choose. Yeah. I don't have, I mean, I do have my own best practices lists and sort of my general understanding of how we should treat each other, but also I, I honor the free will of every human being. And so it is about giving people the opportunity to understand what program are have you been running subconsciously? Like if you have felt in conflict or scared of people who are different from you, your whole life, are you interested in having a different experience of that? 
And what is your brain sort of telling you is the solution to the problem already? That you ignore it, that there's something wrong with those other people who have a problem with you, that it's not solvable. And so just even opening up the inquiry that you would like to have a different experience of this pattern and acknowledging that it is a pattern in your life, that even if you've never done something overtly discriminatory or experienced overt discrimination, you have had the human experience of bristling at someone else's presence Mm. based on how different they are from you. Beautiful, man. And so, you know, what I'd love to do is, it, well, I'll see if we have time to come back to the organizational stuff, but I think that to come back to the big idea, and again, what you talked about is kind of understanding this link between personal development and social justice and, you know, world moving us towards world peace, if we want to go back to the term, is... I love so many people kind of who listen to the show again are are people who are on their path or engaged in personal development. And what I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on is how do we do this when you talk about finding your place in ancestral uh, violence and separation and why that's important. If you were speaking to someone who has been thinking about their personal development journey as just that a very personal thing, as opposed to a collective one, um, what would you say to that person to widen their perspective of how to approach that? Mm. So first I would only ever really offer this to someone if the genuine inquiry is there, sure. right? You know, if there's that willingness and, and that sense of, okay, well, I'm ready, they, yeah. I'm ready for the, for that, for that next level. Um, I think that it comes often just from, yeah, that willingness of feeling like there's, there's something else that's missing in my life. I still feel disconnected or I still feel like there's issues happening in the world and I want to have a different experience of it. I often start people with vision. Like truly, let's get honest. And when I I say world peace, but what I really mean is whatever you imagine a healed and whole and great place to be is, you know, allowing everybody to have their own unique vision of what would be involved in their own version of utopia, where they feel good, where they feel like they can be themselves and they're in harmony with the people around them. And I, I, I really focus on vision first, because often we subconsciously come to a problem with just the desire to like remove a little bit of the problem. Mm. Like, let me, you know, is my goal just to be less stressed out or is my goal to feel alive in my life? Is Mm. my goal to like, just not have to worry about people yelling at me on Instagram or is my goal to walk into every space on this earth and feel immediately excited to meet the people who are there and to have a default to trust and to connection rather than to suspicion and separation, right? And so getting really rooted in that vision for me is is so important to start because then we can feel that energy. Like I've got a little bit of the chills. There's that sense of, whoa, okay, like that's why we're doing this. Not because we're bad people and we need to clean up our acts and um, the world is falling apart and we need to, you know, do our do our best to to avoid apocalypse. It's like in the same way that you stake your claim to a relationship that's not just like, yep, we kind of like each other and, you know, we have a house and we go somewhere nice on the weekends. It's like, I want to see them and just know I want to like, I want to have that heart shattering level of devotion and love. I want to feel connected to them no matter where I am on earth. Like the way that we, that we, that we allow ourselves to dream. Um, and, and, you know, there's so many other examples coming to mind, but I really want to start there because what we have is a crisis of imagination. When we, when you think about the future, what do you imagine? Mm-hmm. I know that I used to imagine my goal was the thing that just came to mind was 
I'm going to have property somewhere. I'm going to have a stable water supply and I'm going to have what I need to defend myself when people start fighting over resources, you know, sort of an iconic image of like me somewhere in the plains of America with a sawed off shotgun being like, I'm good. And like, ideally there's like a few people that I love there and like, we're okay. Yeah. And I think that it sounds hyperbolic, but that's actually what a lot of people picture. And now I very consciously imagine walking through a beautiful place in nature, feeling at peace, seeing the people that I love around me, seeing the news and seeing positive things, drinking out of a stream and not worrying whether the water's contaminated, things like that. So really harnessing that, that power of our imagination get, gets us to the why of why we're even doing it. And then it brings us to a place where I would take people, take people through an inventory what are your what are your beliefs about the nature of the world what is your belief about what humanity really is about what we're destined for what is your experience of people from x y and z different identities um what are the stories that you have about your relationship with them what was modeled to you as a child what are your parents stories about connection across identity what are your parents stories about survival um and then we begin to peel it back and we start to have that practice of understanding okay these are the beliefs that are guiding me and what's the story i actually want to be living Mm. and then being in a process of of reinforcing that and i will say that specifically when we go out of that big vision into the identity piece we are all called to slightly different ways of rebalancing that i know for me as a white person I am called to put the first foot forward in connection with people of color, right? To receive maybe a comment on Instagram that I feel that someone else might say, oh, that was a little harsh, right? I would listen maybe if they weren't so angry and to say, what has been the pattern of receiving that feedback in the past? It's that I say, you're exaggerating your pain. I have a better understanding of your pain than you do. It's not that bad. And to push people and to silence them and to say, okay, how can I rewrite that pattern Uh, in the same way that we would look and say, okay, a dominant pattern on earth right now is financial scarcity and telling the story that money is the root of all evil Mm. that can help us understand why we're still struggling financially. Me understanding that an archetypal pattern between me as a white man and a person of color or me as a white man and a woman is that I silence them and I do not validate their experience can help me understand an aspect of what I might need to be reprogramming within myself. And what's your, I think one of the things that, that so many people struggle with, especially young people is the idea of connecting with these causes or issues that are grander than ourselves that we feel really connected and passionate about. It's helping people to tap into that deeper sense of purpose, something bigger than themselves that they're, they, they can experience that feeling of aliveness working Mm -hmm. towards. How do you help people to connect with that? when they're just starting off or they need like some attunement, Mm. you know? You mean in terms of just really finding like where there's all these different things going on, where do you focus? What's your, your cause? Yeah. Yeah. I ask. I often ask two questions. What's been the worst pain of your life? Yeah. And what's been the thing that you're obsessed with that you can always talk about? I know for me, the worst pain of my life was the experience of lovelessness, of feeling disconnected from love. Yeah. And the things I'm obsessed with include basically quantum physics and nature (laughs) and and understanding the world and also experiencing the ocean, experiencing nature. Um, And that and that really that intersection of the thing that your soul chose to experience 
the darkest version of so that you could understand what it's like to not have something to be in the in the 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 exact opposite of what you're seeking to create as you walk yourself out of that pain you carry the tools that help other people walk out of that pain as well Truth. and we're here to enjoy ourselves so what actually lights you up um and and giving yourself you know, sometimes we have to really retrain our intuition. I know for me, it was like my intuition was basically a battered shelter dog that I would would like hide in the corner and I would put out different food. And at night it would come out and take like one <laughs> bite. <laughs> yeah. And I slowly had to rebuild this relationship where I could stop telling the story. I know I used to have goals that are not my they're not my authentic goals. I thought okay, like the pinnacle of me feeling good in the material world is that I'm going to have like this really nice apartment in New York. And it took months of me doing visualizations until one morning my subconscious was just like, you actually live by the ocean. That's mm. actually the dream. Mm. And I was like, oh my God, that's actually what I want, right? Yeah. But it took rebuilding that trust. And so I like to share that with people because um, it does take that time sometimes to allow it to come through. And also we're all constantly evolving. I was very active in certain causes now that I still carry in my heart, but I'm approaching the work in a different way. And so I would say, don't, don't feel like you're picking your cause for the rest of your life. Allow yourself to be moved and allow yourself to, to embrace a theory of change that allows you to evolve with the world. Yeah. I think one of the things that, that I often hear from people is, you know, you talk about something like a vision, you talk about belief, like something I oftentimes talk about values. And one of the responses that I hear from people is that it's, it, it feels limiting or restrictive to articulate, like here is who I am and what I care about. And what I always couch that in is like, look, the questions of like, what is your vision of the future that makes you come alive? It's like, what are your beliefs, the stories you believe about the world, like the values that you need to just express yourself. And it's that like these questions will remain the same, but your answers should and will evolve always, but it's not a, an excuse for not having them to not have some fundamental sense of self that's driving you in the world. And that, you know, when we don't have answers to these questions that, you know, our actions kind of feel like they might just be being directed into a void without real direction. And so that they are not supposed to be your answers forever. It's just an understanding of where you're at in this moment, which is so important and fundamental it's there absolutely and the, and the image that just came to mind is being reactive versus being a totally self-possessed person if you're not clear about your values and what you care about you're basically subconsciously reliving your experience of your parents determining your caregivers determining what is right and wrong and what you should do because if you don't have an internal compass you get on social media and you hear from other people oh my god we have to do something about this oh my god we have to do something about that and you live your life being pinged around like a like a like in a pinball machine just back and forth between other people's stimulus into your life and you might be doing quote unquote good things but you're not in alignment and you're still outsourcing your sovereign choice of your life mm. based on other people's assessment um and and that is in some ways the biggest thing that all of us are reclaiming right now is an inability to trust ourselves an ability to trust that if you are if you're showing up in alignment with yourself and and with with a, a commitment to your intuitive impulse and to your joy that actually 
that is enough because the more you open your heart and the more you allow yourself to thrive and receive, mm. the more you're actually going to have to contribute. Actually, I had kind of some goosebumps as you were talking about that because it feels like so much of your work revolves around that very thing of helping people to reclaim their authentic and unique voice. And I hear that in you when you talk mm. about like what is the worst pain that you've experienced and understanding that like in that struggle like your story can be your service and understanding how people can express the truth, the parts of themselves that they're hiding or unaware of. So when you think about that, you know, can you speak to how that parlays into your work and how people can do that just to really kind of reclaim their voice and, and share that with the world mm. powerfully and transparently? Absolutely. It's, it's a relationship. Mm. We've been trained by our environment to distrust ourselves. Even there's a thread within modern spiritual discourse that has people terrified of wanting anything, has people saying, oh no, if I have a dream, that's probably egoic, right? That's probably, I should just suppress that and be non-attached and because attachment is the root of all suffering. And, and, the, and obviously I believe all of that from one perspective, but we've been really separated from the technology of our emotions of our physical human body that we chose to be in that we chose to took, take all of the magic that is us in the universe and just funnel it into this human form that lets us know what is right and wrong for us by our gut instincts and for some people it shows up like a little voice in the head for some people it shows up like a physical movement in the body for some people it shows up as just a feeling or a word or a color um, but i would say that it starts with the intention to be able to listen to yourself and to slowly build that relationship and to keep asking questions and for me this is something i'm still doing i'm still in the next level of noticing where I make a decision and then I seek validation for it. I text a few friends, okay, this is what I'm doing. This is where I'm going to go next. Or, you know, let me know if you have an intuitive hit about this, you know, little things that I'm pretty clear that I'm making my own choices. But every once in a while, I, I still outsource whether it's my final choice mm. to someone else. Um, and when we, when we're in the process of reclaiming that authentic voice that you talked about, it is about understanding and having compassion for how deeply fearful an aspect of ourselves is that we are going to tell the truth, that we are going to express ourselves. Because why is it so hard? Because we were told that basically our survival depended on us not fully self-expressing. Even if we had incredibly loving parents who worked nine to five jobs that they hated and shushed us a little bit when we were really excited about something every once in a while mm. right that can show up and it's also just in the collective consciousness so even if it's not 100 in your lived experience it's probably coming to you from the media from other people um, because we all are connected in that way and a really practical tool that i'll give people is that some of the first homework i give most of my clients who are often already big public figures but who are feeling deeply inauthentic in what mm. they're sharing is to make a list of things I know to be true and to create a running list or things for some people, it's things I wish the world knew if you're a little bit more fiery in that way, but keeping a running list where you're just like every day taking note of things, little things that you actually have an opinion on. The other list that I'll give people is things I like literally taking note of your preferences. Wow. Actually, I would have preferred to leave that party 20 minutes earlier. Hmm. Actually, I did want a salad instead of 
that sushi or whatever it is, really starting to begin that practice because we can often feel like we have all this built up pressure. It's like, oh my God, I have so much to share with the world. So much to share. And then it's like, okay, but well then how do I create a perfect personal brand and like decide what the message is and then just like channel it out for 30 years? It's no, we just have to let the trickle start. And so creating that list and just asking yourself, okay, where's, where's the next place I could share this? Yeah. Things I know to be true. I remember I sat at dinner with my mom on New Year's Eve and we talked about, um, I forget what the question was exactly, but I think it was, it's how I think the world works. Mm. Like what are universal truths about the way that the world works? And we saw this dichotomy of some that were limiting beliefs about the way that the world works of like, we have to be conscious of what other people are thinking and feeling and conform our words. And then like what I've realized now, as I work with a lot of my clients in the realm of communication is especially one of my favorite definitions of confidence is from my mentor, Lauren Zander. And she talks about confidence is not a noun. It is a verb. It is the result of respecting yourself and telling the truth. Mm. And I've always loved that definition. It's, it is because it is the product of living a life that you're actually proud of and then just expressing that. And when you are doing that, it makes telling the truth possible, right? Because you actually like yourself, you believe in yourself, you're proud of yourself. Um, but what we always talk about is what are some of the things that we know to be true? And these, these ones are, it takes a little more digging. It's like, we're so aware of the limiting beliefs about the world of this fear mindset of like, I can't share all of myself because it will be too much for people. It's like, I have to, uh, you know, care about what other people think of me to be liked, to belong that ultimately inhibit us that hold us back. But other limiting beliefs that we start to uncover about when I share my truth, I create space for other people to do the same thing. The idea that if I'm not being completely honest, I can't expect other people to be honest, which are things that, you know, so many people hold dear that they believe that they trust. And when we take the time to articulate those empowering beliefs, it's again, it's like the the world is not happening as it is, it's as we are, right? It's a projection. And so taking the time to articulate those fundamental beliefs about how the world works and understanding the ones that are holding us back and the ones that are true for us that we haven't taken the time to bring into our conscious kind of understanding of the world has been, can be so, so powerful. So I love that one. It's so powerful. And and I wanted to highlight for people too that you may start that things I know to be true list and then feel like it has to be like your TED talk immediately. Things on your list could include like eating apples in the fall in New York is the best thing ever. Like Harry Potter is objectively the best book that was ever written. <laughs> like more people should spend time in the sun. Like just even little, little things totally. um, that, you know, it doesn't have to be this, um, this grand, you, you know, theory of unified theory of the universe. I love something that we talked, you talked about listening to yourself and I'll uh, rehash a little story that we talked about before we yeah. came here because I was like, so where do you live? And you're like, I'm just kind of a citizen of the world at the moment. And I was like, well, what feels like home? And you said near the water, mm-hmm. right? 
And, uh, and I was like, so how'd you get there? And you were basically like, well, I just kind of started listening to myself and I realized like, I, I'm a person who lives by the water and I was like, beautiful. And, and I, I told a story about my, my father. He recently, when we, when I graduated from school, we drove across the country and uh, we were on our way to Alaska. And while we were in the car, he was making fun of the music that I was listening to vampire weekend, which I think vampire weekend's awesome. Um, as my dad reminded me, definitely not Paul Simon, but still good. <laughs> and, uh, and basically he he said, do you know why people of your generation don't create timeless art? And I said, no. And he said, because you're afraid of being alone and you have to be alone to connect with the essence of the human spirit that transcends time. And, you know, you talked so much about being in New York and it's like, this is the hub of like frenetic energy and hustle and creation and so much happening. And you talk about again, like how much of our actions can be directed subconsciously by what's happening around us. If we don't create space to just check in with that spiritual metaphysical self, what's there. And it's such a powerful thing. And I think that I love those tools of just creating space to actually listen to the self and, and do that. Um, so kind of at this point, I want to open it up to you and say, are there other things that you want people to understand as it relates to this kind of dual connection of the personal development journey to magnify and positively impact social impact? Like what, what don't people know about this that at this point you wish they knew? The thing that comes through very strongly is that we somehow have we have an interesting relationship to time as humanity where we have this big story about how different everything is every decade um, but we also sort of have this sense of of the way things are is just the way things are right like i'm just i'm just living this life and then i'll die and other humans will be born and and when i zoom out from this moment I find it very important to instill upon people that what we're going through right now is not an optional process. It's something that we've co-created with our shared intention to no longer be in conflict with each other. The reason we have a president who says horrible things about people and looks like the worst mean uncle all of us have ever had and mm. makes us feel that ashamed and that small for some of us for other people there's obviously a different resonance but for a lot of people there is that that feeling of discomfort related to him um and if that isn't your experience of the president then you're having that experience with people on the internet with people who you feel are making you feel small or taking away your rights or curtailing your ability to self-express yourself the reason and the reason it's getting worse and worse and worse from one perspective is because love drives out all that is unlike itself. We are in a moment of collective awakening. We're in a moment of collective evolution where we enough of us enough of us have said subconsciously or consciously, there's got to be a better way. I'm not content living like this forever. In the same way that we do on a personal level, we've all put that call out. And so the chaos that's occurring right now is a product of the intention to experience something different. When it's like a detox, you got to get a real good look at the stuff that's been hurting you as it leaves your body. Like if you have food poisoning or something like that, you it, it's pretty messy. And sometimes you have that moment where you feel like you're face down on the bathroom floor for what is objectively 24 hours, but you feel like is your entire life and you're probably going to die. And then you come out on the other side and we're in that 
kind of rapid cleansing process as humanity as we release this fear we release the separation and so i would say to everybody i like to share that because i think it helps us situate ourselves and understand that there's logic behind what's happening um, and it's something that's also been that it, there's been prophecies about this time for a long time some people call it the rainbow warrior prophecy but many different indigenous groups have said there would come a time when the river, rivers would run, run dry when earth would be suffering when when animals would be going extinct and it would seem like earth had never been this bad mm. and a group of people would arise to change it all to shift the paradigm to bring peace and connection and joy back to earth and that species would begin to come back to life um, and there are i work with a lot of indigenous elders and all of them say we're we're here this is what's happening and if you look at the news there's a lot of negativity but it, there's also a lot of positivity we have news of species being in, be, becoming extinct and also in the last couple of years several different at least 10 different species have reappeared that we thought were extinct forever mm. that have been gone for hundreds of years in some cases and then boom there they are right and so we are in a moment that is it's so painful we're literally fighting for our lives as humanity but if we embrace the process if we commit to lo honestly loving ourselves a little bit more so that we have more of that love to receive and witness in other people that's the change that we all need we're all called to not tell a story that we'll get to it later to just begin to say okay what is my next right action today because on a soul level no matter how out of control i feel i wouldn't be here if I didn't choose to be here. And that must mean that I have a role to play. And yeah. it starts simply by recommitting to befriending yourself and then beginning to experience that level of amicability and trust with every other person. Yeah. It's interesting. It's, you know, you talk about the rainbow warrior and like immediately when I think of the the term warrior, I think of like the, I just denote it as like almost like the sacrificial, mm. which I think is, you know, when you think about social justice and service, like oftentimes it's just inherently correlated with the idea of like sacrificing. It's like, if you're going to make the world a better place, it's like you're sacrificing the ability to actually make money. It's, you know, to like fight for what is right. It's like you're, you're fighting. It's like, and you're inherently inducing yourself to, to stress and all these other things. And so, you know, I, I'm curious of like, how do we balance that of like the idea of when you talk about self love and personal care and these things of taking care of ourselves, it's like, but is there space in that for discomfort internally and grappling with that? You know what I mean? How do we, how do we grapple with both those two things at the same time of like, of challenge and all that stuff while also integrating self love and self care? Definitely. I think that I really want to anchor in the idea that that to be human, to be in a body is to experience the full spectrum of sensation basically all the time. I feel incredibly uncomfortable in my body all the time. And I also feel very excited and at peace in the world. There's a difference between peace and numbing, right? There's a difference between showing up with there's a difference between love moving you to take action and you saying that you're loving yourself by pulling yourself out of the flow of life. Yeah. And I do really, I understand that scarcity narrative. I used to always say about the last time I, I think it was the last full-time job I ever really had was as a union organizer. And I used to say that I would go to work and I would be asked which organ I had sacrificed for the the revolution that week. It literally felt that extractive. Mm. Like I was being asked to strip away 
essential aspects of myself for the cause. Um, and I want to reframe that. We are going through a lot of death right now, literally physically in our bodies. The more light we take in, the more love we experience, our cells are shifting. Things are moving out of our body or shifting um, and, and clearing. And there is that dark night of the soul feeling of who the heck am I and what is happening? And that sense of, I don't even know who I am anymore. I don't even know what's possible anymore. I don't even know if the sun's going to rise <laughs> when this night is over, or if it ever will be over. And there's that sense of death that every warrior goes through, but nothing that is essential to us is stripped away. Mm. Yeah, Love yeah. is the only thing that remains. So there is there's pain, there's, there's blood, there's sweat, there's tears, there's, there's a lot of release and there's a lot of experience of loss, but it's, we're not, we're not losing anything that was serving us. Yeah. You know, one of the things that makes me think of is like when, when people ask me about hero who you may hear stomping around when he came in here a little bit earlier, um, people oftentimes ask me, they say, what is, what's your favorite aspect of being a dad? And I oftentimes think about this trope that people say, it's like, you know, you raise your kids so they can be better than you. And I always say like, that feels so, feels incorrect to me. Um, aspirationally, it's like, no, if I want something for them, I have to embody that myself of like to create a real possibility for them to experience like true self-love, like, you know, sexy, romantic partnership, like whatever I would desire for him, I have to occupy that myself to show that it's really possible. And I think that, you know, in the realm of social impact, in the realm of moving the world forward, being of service, it's like the idea of, I, I love, I'm almost applying so much of what you're saying to that, mm. of that, like, if we want things for others to provide that for ourselves so that we can really offer that we can create that possibility for others and integrity of have that more connected experience is what's coming up for me. It's so, so beautiful. And I love to hear from parents too, because, you know, you truly have, you know, I don't have children right now and it truly is that it's, it's a different viscerality level of the relationship to the future. And I think that you're, you're absolutely correct. And that is really that sort of escape valve for anyone who just still feels like, no, but it's not possible. Hmm to not torture myself in pursuit of social change. It's not possible to have the social change you desire if you're torturing yourself. So like you can just put that down right now. Like we can all just like take a deep breath and understand that what you dream of will not happen if you are disrespecting yourself mm. and other people in the process. And we all have an invitation to say, where when did i learn that having nice things required suffering hmm. and where am i contributing to the story that good things aren't worth it unless we lose something of ourselves in the process truth well brother i've, I've loved our time together and you know one thing i'd love to Kind of leave our audience with today is again of kind of this this shifted perspective of how we are growing individually and impacting the collective what is what is one of the most logical starting points for someone who's listening to this in terms of 
where they would go next, whether it's listening to themselves and asking a question, whether it's looking up something literally that you have on your, your website that's available, what would be a, a first step in terms of exploring this type of perspective shift a little more deeply? Absolutely. Well, we can always, you know, people are, are welcome to find me online and we can, we can call that out, but, and there are many tools that I have to support people with this, but the first thing that comes through, which you can do with me or by yourself is to make that commitment to reestablishing a relationship of trust with your own intuition, understanding truly that however cliche it sounds and also side note, why have we been programmed to feel like it's cliche? Self-love is the origin of all of this. The more positively and compassionately you can regard yourself and to shift your self-talk, that's going to set you up to be able to share that with the world. The second thing I would layer in is just to start to say, okay, how can I receive this message, this teaching about metaphysics and look at where I've been seeking something and doing the opposite in order to try to get it? Mm. You know, where have I been embracing a nonstop stream of critique of other people as my method of social change? Where am I self-harming through receiving negative information about the world that feeds my outrage but doesn't actually lead to a shift in experience for anybody involved? Um, really taking that in and starting to say, whoa, how could I approach this differently? Even in my own perception, even in how I relate to what I'm following on Instagram and how I think of what's possible um, for, for the world. And to bring these two together, because I've got a lot of ideas, mm. you've got a lot of ideas. You know, we both, we, we, could, we could talk, talk, talk and give all kinds of recommendations, but I would invite everybody to live the deepest medicine of this, of this teaching and get quiet with yourself. Mm. Just even in this moment, take a deep breath and just say, what's my next right action? What's the next thing? And it's going to show up differently for everybody. And trust that, live that medicine in the way that you approach the next step. Beautiful. And for context, that's how we started it. And we were talking for 20 minutes before we hit record. And then Aaron just stops and he looks at me and says, do we want to take one breath together? And I was like, yes, we do. And we just took one and he was like, let's just trust that everything here is of the highest service and just kind of providing that context. And so, you know, thank you. I think that so many people want to help individuals. They want to help the world by motivating them and giving them tools to kind of like actualize themselves. And I love you know, what you were doing so practically in my opinion and why this conversation just kind of flew by and why we talked for 20 minutes before hitting record is because I think that you're talking about the type of perspective shift that fundamentally transforms what people think is possible for them and kind of just increases their capacity to create, to have motivation and energy to, to do good in the world. And those are, you know, uh, in my opinion, sometimes more powerful for liberating people for transformation. And so it's been an incredible transformation, brother. And I'm, uh, I'm so grateful that we had you on. And so for people who do want to catch up with you, we'll have all your information in the show notes, but what are the things that people can check out right now? Where can they find you online? Um, and what are the, the tools, resources, or events you have coming up that you're really excited about? Absolutely. And this has been such a beautiful conversation. It also just, just flew by and it feels like we could have, we could just talk, talk, talk so much more. 
more because there's there's so much juicy stuff here. Um, so people who for people who want to find me online, uh, Instagram is where I am day to day. Stories connecting with the community. That's at Aaron X Rose A A R O N X Rose. Um, my website's the same AaronXRose.com and backslash tools will bring you to the page where I have resources for navigating this. Whether it is tapping tapping in with your in- intuition, having a a more sustainable and joyful and authentic approach to your work for social change, as well as going on these subconscious journeys uh, on the on the lines of these different identities, whether it's an experience of privilege in, in race or gender or an experience of marginalization and and going through these processes where you can start to clear that from your subconscious. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for the time. Thank you. Signing off, team.